Welcome to the Molt Afflictions Podcast, where we share our experiences, speak our truth, and just put it all on the table in hopes that it helps you, someone, anyone get the help they need or to just figure out whatever you're struggling with. Adversity introduces us to who we are, and we can't go it alone. All right, Ginny Burton, part two. If you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back and listen to that episode before you listen to this one. She's an incredible woman with an incredible story, and it's truly inspiring. And with that being said, let's go ahead and hop into part two. Enjoy. My best therapy has been on mountains. I'm a backpacker, I'm a mountain climber, and I'm a hiker. And I, you know, because I've been in a relationship with self-abuse for so many years, I have just transmitted that because I you can't, well, I won't say can't, I hate that word. It's hard to give something up without replacing it. And I really get something out of self-abuse. And so I've turned that into running long distances, cycling long distances, climbing mountains, backpacking, and pushing myself beyond what I think I'm capable of. And, uh, and that has defragmented me as a human being more than any other human interaction I've ever experienced. But it's always a benefit when you have a badass friend that'll go do that stuff with you. And then you just dump all over them throughout the whole trip. And then you've had your therapy and your therapy. That's amazing. That's so true. And I love how you said, like, you know, you turn to abuse your, you abuse yourself in a way because that, that feels somewhat natural to you, or um, I don't want to say natural rewarding. I don't know if that's the right word, but like, but we'll you say transferable, <laughs> transferable. There you go. Thank you. You yeah. know, so you, so you push yourself to, to do all these extreme activities, right. You know, and, 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 and learning a little bit about you before um, you got into hiking and then climbing and then you like, climbed the three tallest peaks in Washington and all that. I'm like, yeah, she's such an addict. <laughs> like, that's such like, an addict thing to do. It's to just yeah. like shift from there to there and to just fucking go for it, you know? Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that's amazing. And I think that is a great quality that, that, um, people in recovery do have, um, as soon as we can kind of clear the cloud of like drugs and kind of work through and heal some of those traumas and the issues, like the, the way we're able to kind of is focus and, and use our, our really like chaotic energy and, and put it towards something good is, is really unbelievable. It's something that we have. And I really want to touch on like what you said about therapy. Um, I agree. I, I have the, my fellowship and I have my sponsor and I have all that for therapy. Right. And I have my creativity for therapy. Um, but I say being an alcoholic and act is we're lucky to be them because we so have lucky. The so greatest, lucky. Right. It's the greatest gift God has ever given me because I have these things. I have a meeting. I go to men's stags mainly. I can go into a room and I can just talk to men and get vulnerable with them and share my experiences. And they all know me. No one judges me. They come up to me to help me. I can call dudes anytime, you know, and it's like I met Nate like a month ago. You know, and like he's sober, I'm sober. And uh, for those who don't know, Nate's my producer of the podcast. And instantly we just have a connection because we're both sober. So we both understand each other. And there's, there's that. And I can go anywhere in the world and I can, and I have, and go to a meeting and know people immediately because we're the same. So 
super, super grateful for that. But the normies, as I call the normal people who aren't addicts, don't have that luxury. You know, they don't have that, you know, and I think so therapy for us, maybe not, but I think therapy for, for people who don't really have a, have a solution is a, is a great option, you know, um, cause you said it, you, I've been to therapists and I'm like, well, you're already doing everything I would recommend you to do, but like maybe people who don't have the recovery definitely is, is a great option for them to, or just hang out with you and I, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> just pick up some of us. I will deliver solutions all day long. <laughs> yes. Um, so, I mean, you, you went to school to study, you studied political science. Yes. Yeah. What was that like um, to just be like at one point you, cause when you got out of prison and you, you decided that you wanted to like change your life, what, what was that moment like at that point where you kind of just like, you had your white light moment. Cause for me, I was in a hospital bed <laughs> with like tubes coming out and I was like, yeah, I'm a verge of dying or you almost died. And I was like, that was my white light moment. But for you, like at what point was there a white light moment or was it like a, a progression for you? I mean, it was a progression, honestly. I mean, I had a number of moments that were white light in the moment, but you know, sure. my addiction was always much bigger than that. And so, um, but what happened for me when I got out of prison the third time and I made the decision to get involved with the guy that killed my son's dad, he just popped up in my face at a meeting one day and I almost fell down because he had threatened my life as well. And, and so, you know, but we had this interaction and, um, and I think I was really like desperate for intimacy in some different kind of ways. When I left Tacoma and moved to Seattle, I was uh, different. I was like a monster compared to those people. I was extremely comfortable with being violent and taking, you know, what I needed and wanted and um, especially in addiction. And so uh, meeting again, somebody from where I was from, the violence was really normal from where I'm from in Seattle. People are a lot softer than us from Tacoma. And so when I connected with this dude, it was just like this spiritual experience kind of. And so um, the relationship went bad really quick and turned violent. And I learned a lot of stuff about him that he wasn't truthful about. And, um, and then my mom died and I spiraled out of control in my addiction again. And the thing is, is that I didn't want to be using, I picked up because it seemed like a better option than what I was in. And then once I started, I couldn't stop. And I was really present mentally. And there wasn't enough drugs for me to use to blot out my reality, which is what I was seeking. And so I was like caught in this, a really the state of aware purgatory. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was in it for a long period of time. And this dude terrorized my life in ways that it had been a really long time since I'd been terrorized by a man like this. And, and I couldn't stop using and so, and I wanted to be somewhere else. And so I was giving it my all to try to die. And he was really doing his best to try to kill me. And, and I was kept alive by some force. And I really want to say the F word when I say that just for emphasis, because like, I was so uncomfortable and so miserable and, um, and I prayed for death and I received that, but it was a different kind of death, right? Like I died to that life through that process. And what the white light looked like is the same thing that it usually does. And that's the police with the lights behind me, the actually red and blue light experience. And so um, I was rescued 
And I was placed in a holding pattern in a timeout long enough for me to pull myself together. And I was well aware that I was looking at a fourth prison sentence and I was fine with that. It didn't matter. So I was grateful. So, you know, and there was a culmination of things over that entire period of time, living in a contradictory fashion, feeling like I was supposed to be doing one thing internally, even as a small child, but having it manifest in a very different way in the environment. But I knew that when I was arrested and when I was put staying put in that jail cell, I knew I was done. I knew I made a decision to surrender and it didn't matter if I was going back to prison and it didn't matter if I wasn't. And it just so turned out that, that I didn't. So, um, so I just made the decision to stay clean one day at a time. And that, that was it. And, and I've done so for the last nine years, but you know, and in saying that, like, it's a daily practice for me, it's a daily practice. Like I, just because I have almost nine years does not mean that, that I think I have it licked, you know? So It was a progression. It was, I did have a moment of surrender and I've just practiced that surrender on a daily basis since then. Yeah. And it is, it's a daily practice to daily yeah. reprieve, you know, um, it's very much so for me. Um, Cause that, that addict is very much still in me, you know, oh, yeah. and, and it, and it always, he always will be, you know, um, I look in the mirror and I, I see him often. You know, and uh, he's he's right behind me. And um, for those listening that who aren't, you know, addicts or alcoholics, like might think that that's horrible. Why would you want to keep that person with you? Well, my answer to that is if I don't, I might become him, Hmm. you know, and I need to know that I was that and that is capable. And what keeps me going is that. It keeps me practice my daily practice is like, cause I want to slip back into my old ways. So many times when life gets tough and life is fucking tough. It is life is hard and being sober is hard, but it's also amazing, right? It gives this opportunity to do so amazing things, but I don't know how sensitive you are as a person. You're probably pretty sensitive, but I'm super fucking sensitive. So like Things that happen to me like that, like I really, really feel them. So it's like, if I don't do this daily practice, like my instinct is to want to numb that shit out. But what do I do instead? I don't do it. I I open up, I become vulnerable. I do the exact opposite. Me telling my truth sometimes is not that easy because I'm scared shitless of someone's going to judge me or someone's going to like ridicule me or whatever it is. And it just gets easier and easier with time. The more I open my mouth, the more people respond better to it, you know? And it's like, holy shit, this actually is, this is, this is great. I mean, this is what the whole program's based off. Right. So thank you for sharing that. And uh, now you you went to school. So we went back to the whole school thing, like to study political science. What was your what was your drive behind that? Why, why political science? Where, where did your interest in that come from? Yeah. Okay. So um, I always have to give a little context. Um, Please. Yeah. So I was assaulted in my home in 2016. I was also working in social services and I was serving a population of my own people of 50 and over though. Uh, my, you know, my people as in people that had experienced incarceration, addiction, homelessness, and things like that. And um I knew that my husband was going to go in and come out the same guy without some sort of intervention because we have a failing prison system. Uh, I do not think the prison system needs to be abolished. I just want to make a really clear note of that. (laughs) Um, I, 
I didn't feel like I was actually serving my population when the work that I was doing, I didn't have autonomy to actually help. I was just shoving people into housing and I knew that there needed to be a change. And I knew that I was not going to be heard unless I had some letters behind my name. I have 17 felony convictions and a whole slew of, you know, um, discrediting, you know, years behind me. And so, um, even though if we actually take a look at it, it's actually years of expertise. Right. And so, um, so I made the decision to go back to school. I also, you know, he, he, when he relapsed, he left with an entire income. Uh, I was living in the city of Seattle, a very expensive city to live in. And I was working as a peer counselor and only making 16 something an hour. And I was now responsible for both of our uh, bills and, you know, the things that we had accrued together and a household and a kid that I was raising and I had to figure it out. So that's when I applied for this other job. But so I knew that I needed to raise my station in one hand. And I also needed to impact a system that was not being driven by people with lived experience that needed to be. And so, and there was this, I was actually thinking about doing law society and justice, which I did get a minor in that, but the re the, what drove me to focus on political sciences is that I recognized that I was completely unaware of our political system and how it impacts the lives of people similar to myself. And that because I was unaware, I was a victim to that. And that all of the people that I've been serving and the people that I know were all victim to our system in this country, especially if we don't know, you know, what kind of power that system actually has and how it's impacting our lives. And so, um, so I started to take some political science classes. I fell in love with the study um, in the first year I felt, uh, you know, my first year in university, I felt, um, like I discounted my own life experience because everybody sounded so smart. They knew this yeah. jargon. They were able to use vocabulary fluidly. And I questioned my own experience. And then when things changed and George Floyd happened and COVID happened, I recognized that that's where I'm from. And that most of the people that were pushing the agendas actually had no idea what they were talking about. And that's when I decided that to own my own life and my history and my life experience. And, and that's really essentially when my life blew up. So, you know, I, I focused on political science because um, my intention is to impact policy. Uh, I originally planned to go to law school, but when COVID happened, I got sick of sitting behind a screen in my living room and I made the decision to ride my bike a couple thousand miles. So I stopped studying for the LSAT and I studied for the freaking Seattle to uh, Portland bike ride instead. And, um, and then I decided to go the public policy route, which I was slated to begin my master's degree just this last September, but I deferred my, um, employ or my, um, my grad school to take this job down in San Diego. And, you know, the whole entire goal is to change the system so that we have a seat at the table. That's unbelievable. And I can't tell you like, like how, like that gave me goosebumps because you're, you're, you're living it. You know, you are, you're, you not only talk to talk, but you fucking walk it too, which is, I hike it. I run it. I cycle you bike it. it. You do all of it, you know, yeah. and that's, that's, it's rare. You know, I meet a lot of people 
And I see a lot of people now they, they, they talk a big talk, but they don't walk it. And um, that is not the case with you. And, you know, there's just so much that I got out of what you just said. And, um, you know, you threw yourself into service, right? As you got out of prison, mm-hmm. right? You threw yourself yeah. into service, which is unbelievable. Most people like don't really go that route, you know, going from being what you were to like all of a sudden like helping people. I mean, this is clearly your purpose. This is what you're meant to do on, on earth. And um, yeah, when you said you got your letters behind your name, you needed to make an impact. Like that's the only way that you felt like you could make an impact is going to school. And when you went to school, you had this initial fear of not knowing like, Oh, like all these people have this jargon. Like, I can't tell you how much I had that fear almost on a daily basis, me trying to start a business and running a business and everything. And like seeing all these successful entrepreneurs out there in this filtered world that we live in on Instagram, it's everyone wants to present their life as, as like, it's this and that. And it's like, well, well, no, I mean, I'm sure they've experienced some fear, but like, I want to see that. But for you to say like, you know, to go to school and see all these people, experiencing like, you know, oh, they know what they're doing and you don't know what you're doing is like, is a very real thing for me. And was a very yeah. real thing for you. And it's a very real thing for people in general. It's like, people need to know that like, we all experience this shit and to not, to not give up and to keep going. But what's amazing is that you had that fear and you graduated, you recently graduated. Yeah. I mean, not only did I graduate, but I've received over $74,000 in scholarships. I competed nationally and I'm, I won one of the most prestigious public service scholars. Well, I would say I won the most prestigious public service scholarship in our nation, Yeah, which is the Truman scholarship. So, you know, in all of those feelings of not being worthy and not being enough, I just keep pushing forward because what's the worst thing that could happen? The worst thing that could happen is I'm going to be right where I'm at right now. Right. Like, yep. and, and, and that's the deal. And like, um, we tell ourselves all kinds of things and, you know, and I associate that with the same thing I associate feelings with like feelings are only as powerful as I allow them to be. So mm-hmm. if I decide to have a relationship with my fear and my feelings, I'm going to most likely immobilize myself. But you know, when my very first mountain climb, I was, first of all, I was climbing with a bunch of people from a church that I joined. These are professionals. My climbing partner is a flipping former prosecuting attorney. God's mm-hmm. got jokes. Okay. I just want to say that. <laughs> so he and I are hella tight, but I was climbing with him and these other guys. One of our, besides the fact that I thought I was going to die because I'm afraid of heights. And I was like, oh, hey, by the way, on this half mile ridge line that I thought I was going to slide off the side of the mountain on, uh, we get to the top and we're coming down. And one of our guys slides out, hits his crampon on a tree and breaks his tibia. We didn't realize that he broke his tibia at the time, but we were on that mountain almost 24 hours on our feet. It was supposed to be a day trip one headlamp amongst five people and he navigated us off the mountain we got our guy off search and rescue ended up meeting us about three miles from the trailhead and what i recognized that night is that i pushed myself farther than i ever thought i was capable of pushing myself i didn't think i would be able to be on my feet for almost 24 hours on a freezing cold soaking wet mountain with a bunch of people I didn't even know if they'd saved my life. I eliminated my opportunity to make excuses and say I couldn't mm-hmm. on that trip. And it's carried with me this entire time. 
I am not extraordinary, right? I am not any more or less than any human being on the face of the planet. And like, that's the message that I try to get across. And what I do is I just keep showing up. And this is something that somebody told me, I made a decision to make it my truth. Like what I talked about in the beginning of the podcast is that you just got to show up. You don't have to show up and be shiny. You don't have to show up and look good. Dude, I show up and I'm not even nice sometimes. I just show up and I do my part. And sometimes it feels weird and uncomfortable and I feel less than. But you know, if I just ignore that voice in my head and I just show up, Mm. it passes. Everything passes. The good feelings pass. The bad feelings pass. The insecurity passes. And eventually I have found what I've done is I found my own confidence that I know what I know more than anything is I know how to show up period. And that carries you so far. I, I, I agree hundred percent. And you know, it's all about choices, right? We all, we all have a choice, no matter what our circumstance is, we have a choice. We have a choice to, to look at that circumstance a certain way, right? It's perspective. Um, and Sure. You're not extraordinary. You've done extraordinary things, but like you said, if you want to go by you, you not being extraordinary. No, you, you're somebody who lived a life in extreme, right? You had an extreme adversities. You faced extreme adversities and adversity introduces us to who we are. And at that point you had to make a choice. You had to make a choice either to continue to go down one road or to go another road and do it differently. You made a choice to go the other road let let that be an inspiration for people to hear like yes it's not like we need to have this amazing magic shit in us to like achieve certain stuff it's like no it's 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 a series of choices that we make in our life and if and we're small in a, choices right small. small choices that turn into a big thing a big thing exactly so it's like it's not that whatever we're experiencing in life is insurmountable it's like oh we can't do it. we can't get through it because i don't have what that person takes well that's bullshit because we're all made of the same stuff, right? We've all experienced different things. I'm not saying that what people have experienced is any different, you know, is, is less important than what I've experienced. No, but we can experience to make a choice to get help, uh, make choices, small steps, because that's the best way to do is small steps. Don't try to do like a 20 foot toss is what I'm, you know, like you can do a three foot toss, just keep taking steps to get there. Um, I, I don't want to go over cause I know you have to get to work and I want to be respectful of that. But before uh, we go, I want to ask you a question, whether you think, uh, addiction is, uh, is nature or nurture, whether it's disease or if it's a learned thing or that anybody can become an addict, um, because there's such a stigma out there. I think all there. those statements are true. Okay. I think, I think they're all true. I think that. Some people are genetically predisposed and are more likely they have more of a tendency. I think some people have uh, more of an awareness of themselves um, and are able to combat that based on what they see. And in that same vein, no pun intended, um, in, that, <laughs> in that same vein, yeah. Um, I think that as easy as it is for someone to see their circumstances, you know, surrounding them and say, oh, I don't want to do that. It's also similar to myself where it's like, oh, I didn't want to, because, but what was being modeled to me is are the patterns that I adopted. I think, I think that can go both ways, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's like, oh, 
I don't want to do this. Oh, damn it. I ended up doing it. Or you know what? I'm definitely not doing that. And I'm going to find this other route no matter what. So I think all of the statements apply. I think it can be nurtured. I think that it can be nature. Um, but I know that there's a solution out of it. Sometimes people, um, go down that road. Like, for example, I've been thinking about some things lately, um, with the awareness that I have today, and I've always been smart, but I have this different awareness where I'm like, how in the hell did I stay stuck in those behaviors for so long? You know, and instead of judging myself, I mean, just trying to sort of look at it from a scientific standpoint, um, but really sort of recognizing also that, well, I had to do it because I need to be able to reach an audience that's so massive, right? To say, and and let me just say to you and just sort of revert back because you've said a bunch of stuff that I definitely connected with, you know, um, it's been hard for me to have my story go all over the world. And it might not seem like it because I've talked to a number of journalists, but it started with a post that I did on Facebook and it went viral. And, um, and that's uncomfortable to have your dirty underwear in every freaking nation in the world. Like that's uncomfortable, right? Cause uh, I don't want everybody really knowing the depth of my dereliction, but it's helping people. So I think it's not about me. Right. So, so like in judging, you know, my patterns and how long I was in them, it's just like, was I not actually supposed to be there though? So I think it's like addiction is, it's a very complex deal. And, and there's definitely no one size fits all in regards to how you end up there or how you resolve it. Yeah. But abstinence is key. I will say that right now. A hundred percent. Abstinence is key and solution is key. Yes. You know, because just not doing one thing doesn't mean that those desires to want to, that's still a manageability is, it yeah. doesn't mean that it's, it just goes away. So, yeah. um, but thank you for sharing your story because people need to hear it. And I know thank it's you. probably uncomfortable and sometimes it makes me uncomfortable too, but like I need, I, whenever I open my mouth, in some public place or something like that, people come up to me and they're like, you know what? I've actually been like struggling or something like that. Like, yes. let me get you know what I mean? Like, that's what it's about because that's what this, makes it worth it. All of it. And this stigma has got to, it's got to end because if, if you're not, if, if you're not um, a shining example of what like an addict is and can be like the stick, like we're not bad people. Once yeah. you remove that and you get in recovery, like we become amazing people and we do amazing things. Like, so the stigma does nothing. It does a complete disservice to everybody. And I just want to thank you so much for coming on today and taking the time out of your, your day and to share your experience, strength, and hope. You know, I think you're amazing, Jenny. And you know, you got a friend in me always. And if you ever need anything, you can hit me up. I got you. You're the best. You're, you're an amazing person. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you all got something out of it and liked what you heard. If you did, can you please head on over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and review? I'd really appreciate it. We're also on Spotify, so please hit that up as well. And stay tuned for a new episode drop every Tuesday. And head on over to wearmolt.com. That's W-E-A-R-M-O-L-T.com to check out our story and our clothing. And while you're at it, please give us a follow on IG at at where molt thanks again for listening remember stay true to yourself don't be afraid to ask for help and help someone in need later